Welcome to the Jack and Around Show, hosted by two-time Academy of Country Music Award winner and singer-songwriter Jack Ingram. Here's a one-minute preview of episode 23, followed by a brief introduction of today's guest, singer-songwriter Randy Rogers. Do you think growing up in the church, you know, like uh, the preacher's daughter was always the craziest one in school, impact you at all? And I think it impacted me after I was gone. My dad didn't take me hunting and let me drink a beer with him, you know? We didn't go fishing and crack a cold one. And so I got to school in San Marcos, and I think I just went shit crazy. I mean, um, I was sheltered in, in, in a good way, right? My parents did the right thing. I always forget that it's we. Yeah, same five guys for 21 years now, right? It's not perfect. There's been some, some big fights. There's something to be said for that that, that that money can't buy, right? So I haven't had to go through 10 drummers. I haven't had, well, not that you have either, but I haven't had the go. How did you and Radney work? I know he's pretty COVID restrictive. Like, how did, did we all in the same studio together? And The first half of the record, we, we went back to Maurice, Louisiana, to Dockside Studio, where we cut the eponymous album, Randy Rogers Band. Uh, this, the second half of this record, we're going to make at Cedar Creek. When's the last time you were there? Well, Wade and I have been making records oh, there. Okay. But for Radney, it's the homecoming of since. We have the exact same band. Welcome to the Jack and Around Show, available on your favorite audio platforms and in video on YouTube. Visit jackandaroundshow.com for the most up-to-date show information, including links to access the show's catalog of episodes. I'm your host, Jack Ingram. Jack and Around Show is presented by Lone Star Dry Goods curated collection of handcrafted quality goods with a truly unique Americana vibe. Visit Lone Star Dry Goods in person right here at the World Headquarters in historic downtown Abilene, Texas. Just west of Fort Worth in Willow Park. We're online at LoneStarDryGoods.com. I'm producer Matt Pivato. Today's guest, Randy Rogers, has recorded seven studio records and two live records with the Randy Rogers Band. Randy, as a solo artist, has recorded two studio records with Wade Bowen and one record with Robert Earl Keane. Learn more about Randy, Jack, and the show by visiting the show notes, where you'll also find website and social media links and a link to watch this episode on YouTube. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, can't stress how important it is to let your audio platform know by hitting that like, subscribe, and share button. Most importantly, if you enjoy this program, don't forget to give us a big old five-star review. Here's episode 23. Enjoy. Here in my car. He's all rolling. <laughs> I found a pick in my pocket the other day. It was Pat Green's 42nd birthday or something. Oh, that's great. How did I have that still? It was like in the laundry. I got all these over here. Yeah. I got about 500 Swift. Taylor, Taylor Swift ones. Ooh, I had to steal this one. You can have, yeah, have two. Your dad, your dad gave me a bag of them one time. So what you been up to? Uh, writing songs, trying to make a record with Radney. Oh, you are? Yeah. I sent him a couple songs. He said he wanted, wanted that y'all were talking about. Yeah. Did you cut that we, song we wrote? We cut five, and we haven't cut any more since uh, last year. Why? Trying to write. Trying to write. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just between being dad and touring and fuck man it's like Tom's like money how much you been touring oh not as much as like 2015 but well yeah but still like did you did COVID knock you out for a while COVID didn't knock me out because I wouldn't let it so I just called up I sent out an email and a, a text message with the um 
details of my acoustic show in your backyard for you and your 10 friends or 20 friends, however much you feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And then I attach pictures of my children. <laughs> Just said, book me. And so I got a lot of work out of that. <laughs> you exploited your kids. Oh, yeah. And myself. I love it. Yeah. It's awesome. How was that? Definition of being a, a slutty, I guess. I'd play for anybody, anywhere, anytime. And Did you do any of the uh, online stuff? Any of those online concerts? Yeah, I could never get into that. It was... Uh, I couldn't either. That's too much for me. Like, even staring at this camera over here, um, I did not feel comfortable looking into the camera and trying to emote. None of this is real. So... None of this is real. You know, I tried to, like, even like the sequestered songwriter deal that all of our friends were doing and... I could not get into being in a room by myself, looking at the camera and even taking myself one bit serious. <laughs> like I have no clue how like Jimmy Fallon's of the world, like do that night in and night out. And just, Oh, you mean just the camera, just the camera itself is, it bugs you bugs me. Like, I feel like if I was acting or if I was just going like, this doesn't bother me, but like, you know, hitting Facebook live. Okay. Three, Two, one, and now do a Guy Clark song you really don't know that well. Right. You know, it just, I just was not necessarily intimidated. I was just, um, it was just an uncomfortable experience to try to figure out how to all of a sudden be in front of a, you know, turned around iPhone than it is to be <laughs> in front of 15,000 iPhones doing this. You Mine know? is, uh, more about instant gratification about I don't mind doing the song. I don't mind looking in the camera. You know, I love showing off and all that, but man, when it's done and there's crickets and you don't, you can't hear a crowd or you yeah. can't hear a laugh. That makes me feel like, Oh my God, you just made, you just made a fool of yourself. And then maybe you just start reading the comments and then some of the comments aren't necessarily pleasing. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I don't ever read comments. So then man. all of a sudden you're stuck in that shitty world and comments all, are bad. But I, I have noticed the couple times that I've read comments that if you just go straight back at him with like, somebody says, this is the worst piece of shit I've ever heard. And you go, man, sorry I didn't like it. I really worked hard on it. Then they're, oh, I'm a huge fan, man. I was just, yeah. it's like, there's such pussies once you kind of yeah. say something. Will you play my sister's wedding? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's it was fun for COVID because uh during COVID because so my youngest child became like uh three and a half, you know, went from like two and a half to three and a half, now she's four and a half, right? So that time at home was priceless. That's you know, great. Because like the vocabulary and the just wherewithal as a young child becomes so much greater in those few formidable years. And so yeah, I got to spend time with her in those stages of her life way more than I got to spend with my other kids. And so how many kids told yeah, you that is three daughters, 11, eight and four. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, some, that's what I think I'll look back at COVID and think, you know, I've been doing this, I've been on the road for 22 years and in the year 2020, I got to take a break, Yeah, you know, cause I don't see any break, you know, knock on wood coming anytime soon for the whole, you know, touring, making a living job that I've created for myself. So. Yeah, man, you still got a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, I think about like, I, I was completely stupid for saying this in an interview the other day, but you know, Tom Brady retiring 
Not that I'm comparing <laughs> you know, you, my career. You really just did that. I <laughs> love it. That's a Tom Brady, but <laughs> but you, I mean, did you think about like how grueling on your body uh, this job is, being on the road is? People just see us on stage and they think it's you know shits and giggles and yeah, you know, Jaeger bombs and shiner box or whatever. Right? They, they think it is, and and for sometimes it is that. But you know the the fact that he lasted in the NFL 22 years, I'm thinking, well, shit, I've been on the road in a van or worse than that. I was in a suburban, then multiple vans and then tour buses. And yeah, then driving, staying up all night, not plane, treating your body well. Planes, trains, and automobiles for 22 years. It's like, this can't be good for you. <laughs> no. So, so that's what I, you know, just that comparison of his career coming to an end and like, technically my career could come to an end and, Fortunately or unfortunately, as musicians, we don't have the shelf life as you know athletes do. Uh, however, you mean because it's longer? The mental and physical toll that it takes. You know, I think that's what like, during COVID. That's kind of like what I was thinking about. Like, I would wake up after not having a show for two weeks or being on the road for two weeks or playing somebody's backyard <laughs> for two weeks and thinking, "Damn, I feel good." Right. You know, this is this is what normal people feel like. Right. Like I joined the tennis club, I was playing tennis and you know, all kinds <laughs> of goofy stuff that I'd We gotta go play tennis, man. A chance. You're too big. You'd be you'd be killing me. No, man. Yeah. No, no, I've heard I've heard on the street you're pretty good. No, that doubles tennis and that that's even singles tennis. Once you get to the net, you're like what whatever you are, you're like six foot eight. Whatever you <laughs> go. You just kill me. <laughs> That'd be fun though. Yeah. We have a little tournament. Yeah, I've got a mean, mean, mean backhand. It's just nasty. Really? No. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> but I will gamble. You want to go right now? I'll gamble with you right now. Get that on B-roll here. One of the producers of this show. All right, we'll go play one set of tennis. I got my New Balances on. I wore them just because we're in Austin. I got my Willie New Balances on there. There we go. Hey man, I got my badass Hocus. <laughs> Hocus. I'll take you out. Yeah, so working on the new record, uh, I, you know, you everybody asks, like, did you just write a bunch of songs during COVID? Hell no, man. I sat okay. my guitar down, took a break. Um, we built a swimming pool at my house, which really? was a nightmare. Um, we had saved for it beforehand. And, you know, I think I've heard that's a nightmare during COVID because, yeah, it was. It was a nightmare. The just the supply chain is so goofed up. And, um, you know, we, we kept our, our family moving in the right direction and kept a positive attitude. And, but I didn't write a whole lot of songs. And so then um, when we got back to work, you know, quote unquote, you know, shows started happening again. And I was like, damn, I need a record. So then I really started like um, cram writing is what I call it, which right. usually works for me. seems like as that deadline approaches, I'm able to, either a be more prolific or the ones that I write matter and not just suck. So right. I've been doing a whole bunch of that. Just trying to write you know what that is, man. It seems, same as it was in school. I couldn't, you know, it's always been deadline writing kind of when it's something's yeah. coming up. I, en I enjoy that. I enjoy the pressure. Um, I think it's a privilege to have the pressure to go in the studio with Radney Foster and make a record, you know, um, so I've been doing that, and, and the difference, I guess, too, is the the fact that now instead of guys, I've had that condo in Nashville now for like 10, 12 years, and used to, I would go to the condo, hole up, invite friends over, um, write songs for a week, and then go play shows, go right back up there, hole up, write songs. Now we just do it on Zoom. So 
I wrote a song with Ray Wiley Hubbard on Zoom during COVID, you know. That's insane. That's insane. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that, you know, Judy was like on the computer, like, okay, here we go. You're ready. And they, Ray like got into the frame. He's like, hey, Randy, what's going on? That's <laughs> awesome. Um, Who would have thought in 1977, we'd be, Ray Wiley Hubbard would be writing a song on Zoom? Yeah. So, you know, I've been doing a lot of that um, with, I have a kind of a similar setup. Like I have my music room and kind of my away from the house place to go and be creative and so you know i'll just zoom in with whoever and how did you and radney work i know he's pretty covid restrictive like how did did we all in the same studio together and yeah we cut and um the first half of the record we, we went back to maurice louisiana to dockside studio where we cut the eponymous album randy rogers band so that had Buy Myself a Chance and In My Arms Instead, two of my biggest songs that we play every night right. on that record. Um, we went back to that studio and it's kind of, it's on the bayou. It's on, it's in the middle of nowhere um, outside of Lafayette. Um, and it's kind of like going to band camp. There's like a pond you can fish in. There's a studio, there's a bunkhouse and you just live there. We had food brought in every day. Was um, that for a week or two? It was for a week. So it was almost like quarantine. Um, and so I think he he may have been a little bit more comfortable with the fact that it was just us and yeah, nowhere to go. A few engineers, and we didn't even go out one single night. Uh, this the second half of this record, we're gonna make at Cedar Creek, uh, here in Austin. When's um, the last time you were there? Well, Wade and I have been making records oh, there. Okay. I hold my beer records with Lloyd Maines. Yeah, um, been making records there. But for Radney, it's a homecoming of a sense where we have the exact same band. We had a an extra guitar player. And uh, a keyboard player, Michael Ramos, who lives here in town, is yeah. playing with our record, on our record. And uh, Eric Borash is playing guitar, which was kind of Jeffrey's stand-in through the years. And um, so it's the exact same. Didn't Eric play with Radney some? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Uh, exact same band that tracked Roller Coaster. So the first record we made with Radney, we're going back to the same studio with the exact same band. That'd be cool. And What was that, 20 years ago? Almost, almost, yeah. Wow. So that'll be interesting to see just the vibe and the what's changed in all that those years, you know, compared to how it is now. But I'm excited about that opportunity to put that group of people back together. Um, that'll be fun. Yeah, because everybody's always said, "Hey, man, like, when are you going to make another record like Roller Coaster?" You know when. That was just magic. That wasn't something that, you know, I, that anybody could. That's your version of I like your old shit better. Put Yeah. Yeah. Put on paper and say, oh, it's going to work exactly this way. So if it doesn't and it won't work exactly how it did for a roller coaster, it at least will shut the people up that say, you know, <laughs> go back and do your old shit. You know, well, guess what? This is it. So like it or not. All right. So that's what I'm working on. That's killer. That's great, man. How's Raddy doing? He's great. He's like writing a screenplay. Oh, I've heard about it. He just talks about it uh, quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I love you, Raddy. Uh, you know, it's just he—he's in his own world now. He's got—he's got so many creative, and always has, by the way, had so many creative irons in the fire. Yeah, he's always been working on the next song, or he's just seems like a a human being that has to write in order, you know, to feel like he's fulfilling his duty in life. 
yeah, um, with the talent that he was given. So I know that he's putting it kind of in a different, you know, thing, which is screenwriting, which I know nothing about. Um, I don't either. And so I, I'm I think sure he's great. I'm sure he's great at it. I think it's really good for him, you know, because in any kind of writing exercise, all you youngsters out there, any kind of writing exercise is going to only make you a better writer when you hone in on your craft yeah, and you do it every day. That's what I've been finding, like, because I got away from write, writing songs. And then now that I'm trying to cram write the fourth or fifth song. The tools of the week, aren't as sharp. Yeah. The fourth or fifth song of the week's way better than the first. Yeah. You know, energy makes energy and sharpen your tools and all those, all those cliches. Yeah. So Rodney's doing great. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like riding a bicycle, like he and I, cause I made those records with him. Uh, the first, you know, stages of me being on universal, um, like he was a huge reason I got a record deal. Then we made records together on that record deal. Then I went and made records with a slew of other producers. And so you yeah, didn't, you work with Jay Joyce, one record, with Jay Joyce. Um, did you ever work with Liddell? Buddy Cannon. Didn't ever work with Liddell. Um, Dave Cobb, Paul Worley. Anyway, just like, that's like who's who of. Those are, those are all real good producers. You know, producers in our genre. And so, you know, coming back to work with Ratty is all, it's really like being able to ride a bike. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's not me being cheesy or making that up. It's just, it's like old friends, you know, like if I didn't see you for 15 years and we ran into each other, we'd be able to cut up and talk about the good old days and yeah you know being on the road together and playing all these shows together and experiencing all this life together that we have it's it's the same way with rad you know it's like it's it's almost like we were just missing each other's energy and that's it it's just right back where we left off in the studio and he's such a great cheerleader too like he's a great He's a great artist when he's being an artist, but he's I've always I've always loved his energy when he's in a support kind of role. He's a great coach. You know? Yeah. I think he's having a little bit of a renaissance in and of himself is that you know, the Del Rio record now is like turn, turning thirty, maybe. Like, yeah, is that, something like is that. that right? Something like that. I don't wanna it may be twenty five, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It it's it, it was uh I'm not exactly sure. But there, there is a huge push this year to have a, um, a celebration of that record. So I know that he's he's really involved in that, which is super cool. Yeah, you know, to have that. Isn't he doing a show or something? Yeah, he's doing multiple shows and having some of us yeah, out to, yeah. to get up and sing. Can't remember when he, where he asked me to come out, but so I think that like, you know, I think it's a really good time to be working with him. I think he's got a lot of cool shit going on. Including this project. So. What about you with all the other stuff you got? You, you, you're still managing people, right? Yeah. So I had a management company. We managed Red Shahan, the very first person we managed. Um, we started managing Parker McCollum in 2016, around then. Um, because of COVID and, and whatnot, the management company just basically, we, we had William Beckman was our last client. And then. We terminated the management company. There was just no way to keep open. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at whatever point in 18, end of 18, early 19, you know, Parker's wing, he was flying already. So we moved Parker on uh, to Red Light Management. Right. And then and then William Beckman, same way. I just said, hey, man, like, he, you know, William went to 
uh, Belmont. He already has a bunch of ends in Nashville on the publishing side of things. And um, I have a look at Warner Chapel where I have my publishing deal. So I have a first look with them. So if I hear a young person that I think, you know, deserves a look, I, yeah, I, I've got to, you know, hey, you need to take a look at this person. So that's what I did with William. So I got William set up at Warner Chapel, which I also did with Parker. And so that's kind of the extent. Did you of, get a remaining piece of that? Of what I'm doing now. Um, on, on the like William, business side? On the, uh, the company side, not the artist side. So um, that's the only thing I have in place now. I'm, I'm flirting. With the idea of opening up shop again as a manager, you know, management company. Yeah, it seems like you're pretty good at it. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I've always enjoyed the business side of it. I had the PR degree and the business minor, and um, my wife always says that what I lack in talent, I make up with tenacity. So, <laughs> and that's why the Randy Rogers Band has been successful, not because of my, you know, greatness as a songwriter or performer or uh, that's a vocalist. Argue, arguable. But, but I'll, I'll, I'm fine with it, you know. So maybe that is my calling as I get older, and uh, and don't want to be on the road as much. Not that I don't want to be, but maybe for my family, it's best that I don't play 200 shows a year. Is that what you've been doing for the last 20 years, basically 200? I'd like to brag and say it's 200, but I think last year was less. I think 20 was less, but 2019 was calendar year for our band, and there was at least 175 to 200 shows if you count the acoustic shows with the full band shows. So you're looking this year at like 95 to 110 full band shows, and then I'll go do another 30 or 40 with or without Wade, hold my beer, watch this, and then on my own. So, yeah, it's still that much. It's a lot, man. As you know, as a touring artist that, you know, you get off work on Saturday night. No, that's bullshit. You don't get off work until you get home. You're welcome back into your household. Yeah. And things are back to normal, which usually takes a day or two. That's right. And then you leave again on Wednesday. And so Wednesday counts to me as a travel date, even though you don't play till Thursday. Right. So, you know, you add all those dates up. It's a lot. It is a lot. I would think at some point, at some point I settled in on like a hundred. I don't want to do more than a hundred shows. Yeah. But I don't count travel days either because I, I normally am an idiot and show up five minutes before the show. <laughs> well, you know, I think that, you know, you and I grew up idolizing Jerry Jeff Walker and, and, and Robert O'Keefe and some of the other artists that, you know, did this before us. And I always think it's great about the, the thing that we always heard about Jerry Jeff was like, well, if it wasn't X amount of dollars, he wouldn't get off the couch, you know? Right. And I kind of, I kind of want to be Jerry Jeff, <laughs> you know, I want to be like, well, if you want to see the band, it's going to cost this. Well, we don't have that. Well, I mean, that's the, the dream, right? The dream is to have I think the control. I think at this point you can control that, Randy. Yeah, I mean, supply and demand, right? I mean, but, you know, this past weekend we went to um, Lincoln, Nebraska. We played Kansas City. Um, I always forget that it's we. And, and I love your band. I love every member oh, of yeah. them. But whenever I start talking about stuff like that, I'm that it hit me just right after I said you can you can do that. Randy Rogers could, but you but you have a band that you really are with. It's a, it's a band. Y'all treat it like a band. You yeah, same five guys for twenty one years now. Yeah, so your your demands the demands on your time and, and how many shows you're going to do 
and how many mouths that have to be fed yeah is very different than what i'm talking about it is it it is and and that's what i chose and i'm fine with it um well at first when you first got started and i heard that and you started taking off i was like i got i was kind of skeptical about that but as i got older and on the road and deal with band, changes in band members and and you know that tried and true thing is not as strong when you have hired guns. If things start going bad for me, they'll just out. They're yeah. done. And it's so I've, I've, in the last decade or so, I've looked at you and gone, man, that, that, that would be really cool to to have you know three musketeers kind of vibe. Yeah, it's, one, one it's not. Um, it's it's not all peach keen or whatever. Right? It's not perfect at all like we've we've all had to take each other outside and you know whip each other's ass i mean that's happened um there's been some some big fights some big tears and some growing up and you know a lot of shit that nobody knows about that this is the reason we're still together but you know i think that 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 peace of mind um there's something to be said for that that that, that money can't buy Right. So I haven't had to go through 10 drummers. I haven't had, well, not that you have either, but I haven't had to go, I haven't had to go through, you know, players like some of my, you know, peers have. Yeah. And that has given me um, confidence and has given me um, a, a, a feeling of community and common, commonality, goal setting. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that it brings it that people don't get like, well, why would you, you know, why would you make $20,000 a show? But then really on your, in your pocket, you get the same amount as, you know, bass player or whatever. Right. What does that make any sense? Well, we're also sharing every bit of the expense. You know, there's a whole lot that goes into playing a show that people don't see. Right. So, you know, I, I think for me, it's worked out from a, I'm a pretty high stress worry individual anyway. So from not having to worry about, some of the other bullshit that that an artist has to worry about or has to pay somebody to worry about. We've never been hit with that. Right. You know, we all have our health still, knock on wood. Um, we all enjoy each other's company still. Still like being on stage together. Um, like, do y'all have, health, y'all have health insurance together as a company? Or? Health insurance. Um, all of our employees do too. Um, what also comes into play too, it's like, much like a team sport, if if a mistake's made on stage, okay, which given the fact there's about 100 variables that you can control on stage and there's about 100 that you can't right. any given night, we've had pretty much everything thrown at us, including, you know, liquor bottles, right? Right. <laughs> and there's nothing that can happen up there that I will ever freak out or worry about. So let's say – the drummer starts to click track the wrong song and downbeat is completely wrong. And I'm singing the words to a different song. Immediately it gets fixed without even looking at each other without eye contact. Most of the time. Yeah. If for some reason something screws up, if all the set lists blow away on stage at the festival, doesn't matter if we don't have ears, if our inner monitors don't work, 
if we cannot hear each other. It happened in Chicago at the Windy City Smokeout. We're opening for, I don't know, whoever, a bunch of people, 20,000 20, people, whatever, out there. And our ears don't work. No one even knew in the crowd. Yeah, doesn't matter. No one even winced on stage. It was just, we've done this before. Did they ever come back? Boom. Halfway, halfway. <laughs> so, you know, it's just those things. Like, there isn't anything we haven't seen as a group of people. And so, like, you know, those performances like uh, Letterman or Leno or, you know, those things that we did together, those high pressure type situations. I mean, that peace of mind right there knowing the world could come to a crashing halt and we'd be fine on stage. Yeah. There's something to be said for that. Absolutely, man. 22 years into it. Yeah. Have you ever lost any, any, like any turnover at all? Well, I started at Cheatham street, you know, in 2000 and the original band that I put together, they were all graduating college right then. And so they all kind of went on their own ways, but Jeffrey was in it. Uh, 20, 2001, and everybody else was in 2002. So we're right there 21 years together, same five guys. Wow. I've had keyboard players come and go, and like the utility player. Yeah. Like John Michael Whitby quit me to go on the straight, uh, George Strait tour. <laughs> you right. know? So I've lost a few players like that that were band members, but there's not been a band member change since 01. So besides Jerry Jeff Walker, who else did you, who else did you grow up? Really digging. Well, grew up in the church, so I have to give a shout out to, to uh, Stryker. <laughs> and uh, who else? Is Stryker a church band? It's like a, like a really heavy metal church band. Oh, um, wow. Striper, not Stryker. Striper. Striper. <laughs> Sorry, Striper. Fact check, fact check. Uh, Striper. Petra, yeah. Petra, Striper. Um, no, but, you know, my dad's record collection was pretty simple. It was Beatles, Stones, Glenn Campbell, and then Michael Martin Murphy, the Willie Nelson, uh, the Waylon Jennings, Merle Haggard. You know, the uh, the stuff that was in the 60s and 70s. That Sounds like you had good taste. He was listening to, yeah. So Your dad's a preacher, right? Preacher, you know, but like in the sixth grade, pure country came out. So I wanted to be George Strait more than anybody on the planet Earth. I probably wanted to be Mark Chestnut at some point. Um, all that 90s country, I could sing you every song. It's a really fun trick because we put it up on the bus and like, I'm one of the only guys in the band that can sing every word to the, to the 90s country. Like, completely missed Jeffrey. Chops did not have that. Well, I guess Brady Black and I can yeah. sing you every word. So, yeah. Um, I was in a band in high school. I played all the Opry's. Uh, oh, really? Trying to write songs when I was that little, and I was trying to be George Strait. I mean, I think we were all trying to be George Strait, but for sure he was my go-to. Right. You know, I, lo I love when like people, like I, yes, Willie Nelson had something to do with it, but Willie was already like on Pluto. You on, know, he, on Rushmore. Yeah. Like I had a Willie Nelson drum kit when I was six, you know, which <laughs> look at there's, English. There's like a really great photo of me playing a Willie Nelson drum kit. I'm like, do they sell that shit at Toys R Us? Like just think that back then Willie was that mass merged. Yeah, man. Like there's, I have a Willie Nelson guitar. Me playing it when I was little, probably 11. 
there was a drug, there was a drug was kid. What year were you born? 78. So yeah. in the mid-80s, he had all that in Toys R Us. I mean, that's insane, right? Yeah, he probably had action figures. Yeah. We need well, I'd like to find one of those. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, it was really the 90s country thing that, and the 90s rock thing. It was, I wanted to be Eddie Vedder and George Strait, you know, more than anything. That's a smooth combination, <laughs> man. It would be awesome. <laughs> and if you hear the band, we kind of are that. You know, we kind of blend country and rock and like my melodies and my, you know, songwriting is country. But then, you know, we don't, Jeffrey's not up there playing like a B-bender or mm-hmm. we don't have steel guitar in our band. Right. Um, so, yeah, there is some sort of truth to that. Like, whatever happened when I was 14 or 15 that made me want to be a musician was out of Seattle and out of Texas. It's really weird. Was your dad cool with, with you getting in bands? And Yeah, he was cool. He was proud of me. My dad passed away in October of 2020. I had a long battle with cancer. Um, he was cool with it. Yeah, you know, he was really proud. Definitely towards the end of his life, and at first, he was obviously like didn't think it was the best decision. You know, I was finishing my degree at Texas State, and they wanted me to get a job, of course, just like any other parent would. Yeah, but I found this letter the other day that I'd written my mom. I don't think I ever sent it. But it's like handwritten, perfect cursive, like explaining to her why I was going to trade, you know, chase this dream and um, my steps that I was going to take to do it. So I had a plan. Yeah. Um, That's all they want to know, really. But yeah, reading, reading that, I was a lot smarter when I was 21 than I gave myself credit for. True that. You're pretty smart now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been a hell of a you know 22 years. It's like I'm in this stage of the career where it's like maybe I need to rewrite, reread that letter and then rewrite it, you know, to my 42 year old self. You know, what am I going to do here the next decade? How am I going to do it? That's a damn good idea. You know, this is steps I'm going to take. You know, this is my plan. Maybe we should maybe we should both do that and send it send it to each other. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'll send it to my mom. Um, and uh is your mother still alive? Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. And I just think like, you know, anybody listening to this podcast and thinking about their, you know, their dreams, their hopes, their ambitions, their their what they want to see themselves in 20 years, just write it like that. You know, write write it down. Send it to somebody you love and map it out and then go get it. You know, it's it's not necessarily that easy, but it's a great place to start. That's funny you say that, man. I got my tour manager, Kevin, um, has, has uh, kind of takes care of our storage facility. And he, find, he found a bunch of notebooks that kind of had all that stuff, you know, dates and goals. And, yeah. And it's amazing how so many things come true that you forgot you even wanted. Yeah. I have, I have all that stuff saved, saved, and my wife thinks it's just rubbish. <laughs> She's like... <laughs> You just you have all this shit. It's just like a shrine to yourself. I'm like, no, it has sentimental value. Like back when Matt Pivdo booked me, I had like I have this calendars printed out, and it's like 
250 bucks Firehouse Saloon, 400 bucks Jolly Fox Saloon. You know, like all these places we oh, played. Jolly Fox. All these places we played. Um, <laughs> all these places we played. I still have my numbers. You're written down, you know. <laughs> yeah, man. I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember that. Uh, where was it we played in Houston? The firehouse? Sookie. Sookie, the, the food. And, no. and then uh, every time I went there, I found out what how much beer Randy Rogers had sold <laughs> before I went on so that I could actively try and beat it. Yeah. I would say <laughs> that was probably Kevin Fowler's fault because he was such a bragger because he'd sell so much alcohol. Yeah. And then especially like here in Austin at the uh, dance across Texas, which ended up being men at rodeo. Oh yeah. Yeah. He would, uh, was it dance cross or what? Yeah, dance cross. He'd be like, we sold $12,000 with beer, you know? And I get a phone call. Then I go in there and say to the crowd, fuck Kevin Fowler. Let's beat his record. <laughs> and then people would just be slinging beers. The bar owners loved us. Yeah. You know, compared to like Co Wetzel and Parker and some of the younger bands that are coming behind them, I think we were pretty tame. Uh, our live show and our crowd it was just a whole different thing. Yeah, back then, I don't go see those guys play much, you know, because I'm I play more often than not when they're playing. So I they're rowdy. I mean, they're super rowdy. Um, I just think kids nowadays are more rowdy than they were when we were in our twenties. I just think it's a whole different breed of human. I think it's amazing to watch the numbers that those guys are are used to. The crowd numbers, you know, it's huge. Super huge. And has been for a while. And I remember, you know, when Pat and Corey were coming up right after me and said, you know, oh, my God, you were killing it. I was like, you saw me in a 100-seat venue. And it was packed. Right. But then that turned into 500 for the next guys coming up. And then that turned into 1,000 for the next. And, down, you know, I, I look at those guys selling out amphitheaters and, it's just amazing to me. I love it for them. I just found like, uh, I found all these old like video reset, uh, cassette recordings that we had. Somebody gave us a video camera in like 2005. It's like one of those old ones. I don't know the names. I'm not a dat, but it's like a little bitty, like the flip cassette. Like it's this big. It's, everything's recorded on this little thing. Oh, you mean like a, like a, that's the actual tape? Yeah, the tape is this big. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. The camera was this big. The tape was this big, yeah, right? I know what you're talking about. So I just found, um, I don't know, 35 of those tapes. We had one on the road with us, and we carried it around. And I'm so interested to see, like, A, what we look like, but B, what the crowds look like. Compared to how we remember the crowds looking, right? Oh, yeah. Like, we had a sold-out show and at eight airs or whatever, you know? And I can't wait to go back and see what's on these tapes. It's, it's going to be... Uh, you might want to watch them alone first. I'm going to. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not going to be as glorious as... Uh, yeah, it's going to be... We, going, it's, we it might be like going back to your, uh, you know, the recess area at your elementary school. And you go, got it. 
felt so much bigger. Yeah. It's like basketball, you know, like I think I'm a good basketball player. Like I, I remember myself high school being a great basketball player. Yeah. I remember like my first few years of college playing animal sports. I was a great athlete. Fuck no. I was a horrible athlete. <laughs> Even now I go to play basketball. Just suck at basketball. Right. That's funny. But I thought I was great. So I'm assuming that these tapes are going to be very similar. That that <laughs> that frame of mind has served you well. It serves us all well. No, oh, yeah, you lied yeah, to yourself. We got into something thinking we're great, and we sucked until we until we didn't anymore. Yeah, so it'll be fun to see that. Um, but yeah, just you know, nowadays I just go and I, I played some shows this past weekend, kind of with the past and present. I played with Pat and Corey, which is interesting because now I'm with you today. Um, and then Randall King was on that show. Randall King's out in the crowd high-fiving people and, like, Chris Ledoux running around and stuff, you know. Yeah. It's awesome. It's, I really commend him for being able to do that. But this is not something I could do. But just watching the crowd. But you never really did that. Interact with it. No, no, no. Once again, George Strait, right? Just want to st stand there. You know, Willie Nelson, stand there. Um, so, yeah, but it's, it's they're just different. I think the crowd's different. Do you think do you think growing up in the church, you know, like uh the preacher's daughter was always the craziest one in school. Did that <laughs> did that impact you at all? And and if so, like how? I think it impacted me after I was gone. So like my dad didn't take me hunting and let me drink a beer with him, you know? We didn't go fishing and crack a cold one. Um, booze were off limits. Pot was a way off limits. And so I got to school in San Marcos, and I think I just went sh batshit crazy. I mean, keg party after keg party. Um, I was sheltered in, in, in a good way, right? My parents did the right thing. I mean, they were trying to raise me and keep me out of trouble, right? Right. So I think I was just at that rebellious spirit that kind of still drives me. I had to get, had, you know, drilled in me from, you know, being in church every Sunday my whole life. And did you have an active role in the church or did you just have to go? I played piano every Sunday. Um, and most Sundays got up and played a song and sang it. So I was on stage from like every weekend from, from like 14 years old until now. So Baptist church. So 30 years of, being on stage every weekend. It's a lot. That is a lot. Because I played in college too. I played. So I joined this guy's band, Chris Chitsy. I joined his band. So <clears throat> I was playing guitar. Where's old Chitsy now? I don't know. I hit him on Facebook. Told him hi. Did he, did he quit playing? Was he just doing it for fun? I don't, I honest, honestly, Jack, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what happened to him. They kicked me out of the bus on the side of the highway one time. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Because I was probably a prick. I mean, I don't know. You, what were you doing? Let's just say maybe some of the ladies liked me better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was, I wanted to write songs and I wanted to do my own thing. And at the hint of me taking the uh, spotlight away from anybody else, it was time to go. I was playing Cheatham Street, open mic. Had my own little following, coming to the Chitty shows. And oh, you had so you had people come in and yeah. Were you were you were you bucking for getting to play a couple of your own songs during the show? I was doing that, yeah. 
Yeah, I'd kick your ass. And as soon as that, and as soon as that started, it was like, oh yeah, you're you're out of here. That's great, man. But I learned how to sing harmony. I learned how to load a PA, load a trailer. Yeah, I learned great skills. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, intangible things. I learned how to run sound. You know, unfortunately, learned how to roll a snake, plug one in. Wow, uh, yeah. Yeah, some things that you wouldn't know unless you were in the industry right. for a long time. So, Yeah, people think rolling a snake, they probably think you're talking about rolling a joint. Yeah. Which you probably learned how to do that, it's too. It's like the soundboard that you hear music from versus the where you plug it in on stage. Kids, that's a snake. And you don't want to <laughs> pick one up after. <laughs> and you don't want to pick one up and roll it after the crowd at, you know, wherever is thrown up on it and yeah. worse. So. So, how, so how did you get in with Kent? Was it just because you showed up one night and, and he Yeah, did, it really is. Deal? I mean, it honest Kent, to God Kent is. Kent Finley, Cheatham Street. I, uh, I was listening to Jeremy Halliburton's radio show. Yeah, man, I remember Jeremy. KCTI. You know where he is these days? I do not. It's been a few years. He was down in Victoria. Yeah. Um, hadn't seen him in a minute. Uh, he had this radio show. It's got Back Porch Wednesdays. Was something. that in San Marcos? I was in Gonzalez. Oh, yeah. But All you right. could hear it in yeah. San Marcos. And so we were listening to that, and there was an ad. Cheatham Street Warehouse, open mic night. Wednesday night, and I'd just written my first batch of songs about the first girl that really destroyed me in high in college. She broke my heart, and uh, I walked in, sat down, open mic night, played it. Kent came up, introduced himself, said, come back next week. We exchanged phone numbers, and that was it. I'd never heard of Kent Finley. Yeah. So. I didn't know what I was walking into. That's amazing. And then five years later, or how, how long did you keep going there? Yeah, I went every Wednesday for about a year. And then he said you could play every Tuesday if you put a band together. So I did. And then I played there for over a year and a half every Tuesday. Every single Tuesday. Oh, yeah. I played there like the night George Bush was elected president. <laughs> I played there during the train wreck, the literal train wreck in San Marcos. Played there during an ice storm, no power, Halloween. Uh, I didn't miss a Tuesday. Yeah. That's... And those shows were bad. Like, well, the band was bad. Like, we, it, I can't even imagine how bad it was. But, that's but we did it. Yeah, man. Sometimes for 15 people and sometimes for 200 people. Did it become a thing? It did. It became a thing. And then I started playing out mm -hmm. other cities who'd you make your first record with um scott malott so i started being managed by michael devers and they had, had a band called the groobies susan gibson oh yeah scott malott and they had written well susan had written wide open spaces mm -hmm. so they kind of started a management company with some of that um clout that they had because of that song and so scott Produced our first Randy Rogers band record. And that was in one oh two, about that. So hold on. When did you so you left Cheatham Street, started started going on the road, making records. I still so when, play there every month, but I didn't play every Tuesday. And when did you buy it? Don't you own it now? <laughs> yeah, we do, yeah. <laughs> um 2017. 
So how's the pandemic treated that? Well, thanks to our wonderful government. And I mean that with all my heart with the PPP and the save our stages and <clears throat> everything that has been done to keep places like Cheatham seat alive. Yeah. We're just fine. So live music four nights a week, five nights a week sometimes. And is it, is it going to, is it, is everything growing up around it? Across the street now is like a five story apartment complex with like 250 beds or something. Wow. Yeah. It's going to look like they broke its spoke. Like, Everything around it. And then it's going to be worth a lot cheating. too. You, I mean, you're that's gonna, not why you're I bought it. <laughs> I know, but, the, but as luck would have it. Yeah. I mean, it will be open as long as I'm alive as a music venue and uh, I don't intend to sell it to anyone that's going to do anything else with it. So when I can't take care of it and have it open as Kent would have it open, then I'll sell it to somebody who's going to do the same thing. Yeah. So. It's an institution, you know, it's like. Do you go down there and and kind of pay it forward? I play it. Yeah, I play do, it. Do you, do you all have an open mic night? We have it every Wednesday. Kent Finley's open mic. And do you ever go down there and hang out? I've sat in. I haven't got up and played it, but I've, I've walked in and listened for a while. Found the next Randy Rogers? There's not one of those, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. Thank I, God. I, I think it's, for me, like, as much as I tour, my babies are so little. Just remembering how Kent was there every Wednesday night, sitting at the end of the bar, listening. I can't do that. Yeah. I can't. Um, when my kids are grown and Wednesday nights are open, I can, I can see myself sitting there listening and trying to help the youngsters out. Yeah. You know, with it. It's kind of like a retirement plan kind of feel to it. Yeah. Um. Just keep it open, nurture it, keep that younger crop of musicians playing there. I mean, <clears throat> Parker Ward, Cheatham Street Warehouse had on stage, you know, to accept his new male vocalist of the year. Oh, the other night? And wore it during the performance. Yeah. You know, so thousands of young artists saw that and thought, shit, I better look up Cheatham Street or I need to go down and play open mic. Right. You know. Right. It still has a magic to it. You know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to participate in the ownership of it. It's a magical place. I remember the first time I drove there and, and, and sat in or played a show there and it was like, felt like you walked into, well, for me, it was like walking into eight airs or, 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 or another kind of green hall, just a, a place that yeah, you knew there'd been some mojo in there. Yeah. I also own the building that's in the uh, parking lot. It used to be a thrift store. Mm -hmm. So, there's nothing in that building now. And so we have plans to turn that building into something that much different than Cheatham Street Warehouse, but benefits the property. So that could be a bar. It could be a restaurant. It could be a place with 50 TVs. So there only has to be one or two in Cheatham Street, right? All right. <laughs> could be new bathrooms. Is there a studio across the street? Yeah, there's a studio across the street. Is that still there? The is still there. So. <clears throat> but once again, that, that whole area is getting swallowed up by development. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how long that neighborhood's going to look like that neighborhood looks. Cheatham Street does not own that studio. So we don't own that, that piece of property. Um, we just own that little, I call it a pie. It looks like the, a piece that, of pie. That parking lot? Yeah. Yeah. So we do have plans there. Pandemic obviously set those plans back a tad bit. But 
So when are you going to finish this record? Ready? Yeah, at the end of this year, this month, we should have it in the can. So does it have a title already? No. Kind of the last thing that happens, right? Like, yeah, more or less. We've got six or seven songs to cut, and we'll see. Like, it'll be our ninth studio record. So, can't really call it DS. <laughs> I don't know. It's, there's not anything. What? DS 10 in Spanish, bro. Come on. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's, there's nothing. Por favor. Yeah, there's nothing nostalgic other than working with Radney about the record, right? Like, our 22nd year of touring. Woohoo. Uh, it's just another. You could record. call it ten, <laughs> and be like, "Sorry, we miscounted." <laughs> <laughs> We're just musicians, man. So yeah, so no title yet. Um, some of the songs are like, I must have just been hammered during COVID because, like, three of the songs that we've already cut are just like holy drinking songs, <laughs> you know? Wow, that's so new to you. Yeah, drinking. Yeah, and drinking songs. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's what's great about country music is you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? It's That's like right. about five topics you can talk about in country music that you're good to go. Yeah. So um, always looking for tempo now, you know, it's like you cut those songs and then you go back and listen to them. You're like, shit, those are depressing. We got to have some tempo stuff. So right. hopefully this next batch we put in will have tempo. But, you know, we put out a song called Picture Frames, which was not sad, which was a love song. Kind of an introspective song about all this fun stuff that me and my lady have done together and places we've gone and, you know, mm-hmm. how fast time's flying now that we have kids. and Yeah. You know, what we write about at 40 years old is different than what we wrote about at 20, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Ho- hopefully. Yeah. Oh, man, great talking to you. No doubt, Jack. Thanks good. for coming out, man. Good to see you. It's always great to hang with you, Randy. Heck yeah. Randy Rogers, everybody. Thank you.